Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And joining me live today is a very special guest. He is the straw that stirs the Hockey Night in Canada drink, folks. He hosts Hockey Night and, uh, and also co-hosts Coach's Corner every Saturday night. And he also co-hosts Roger's Hometown Hockey every Sunday night. He is a recent recipient of Canada's Walk of Fame for his efforts in this regard. And by my estimation, he is one of the most articulate, eloquent, and truly prolific ambassadors of our country, folks. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Ron McLean. That's pressure, Brent. That's like, that's like Ziggy's favorite cartoon is Ziggy looking at Have a Nice Day. He said, would you please not put pressure on me? <laughs> no pressure at all. You're an old pro. What are you I, talking about? Well, you know what? At 58, uh, I've learned not to get too wound up about that and certainly not to take myself too seriously to worry about it. So you're right. There's no pressure. It's, an, it's a joy to be here. really love the idea of the show. And uh, obviously, I heard Taras, Tara Sloan, of course, my colleague on Hometown Hockey, mm-hmm. is a exceptional musician and singer and uh, joy drop leader so it was neat to hear her talk she had a fantastic show i i really appreciated the fact that she was as open as she was she just came back from a camp with her father and uh lou uh her sibling and they uh were doing a lot of jazz music sang all week long and out in california so she yeah. was really inspired uh, maybe your show got her going <laughs> <laughs> i hope so <laughs> Okay, so, uh, you know, Ron, I was thinking when I was putting this together, you're, you're a lot like the tragically hit for me. You're a Canadian institution. I've been watching you since, I think it was 87 when you first started. I was 18 years old, Hockey Night in Canada. Um, and, it, you know, one that makes me proud to be Canadian myself. I couldn't be more thrilled to have you on the show. One of the aspects of Coach's Corner that I've always enjoyed is that little quip that you throw in right at the end, just before the segment ends. Yeah. <laughs> and oftentimes I'll look at Don Cherry's face and he's kind of left befuddled or, you know, irritated, whatever it is. But, like, do you come up with that off the top of your head? Oh, both, Brent. Sometimes it's off the top of my head. You know how it is. Creativity is uh, when you're hot, yeah. it's right there for you. It's exactly. right out of thin air. But when yeah. you're not hot, when you're either tired or punchy, mm. uh, it can be the worst uh, to try and create. So uh, it's a little mix of both. We plot Coach's Corner to a point. We talk Saturday morning at 9.30 on the phone about the ideas we'd like to go through. Mm-hmm. We rehash that through the uh, early part of the evening. So by the time we hit the airwaves, I've had ample opportunity to know the five or six topics. And I can constantly be thinking about it all day long and build it that way. Okay. Or as I said, if I have a great day going, then there's usually something fires within the framework. It's really tough to create and listen at the same time. Oh, right? for sure. So, and the other kind of responsibility I have is to keep us to time and we don't do that successfully, but we try to limit it to seven minutes. And so I'm always on the fly, you know, mentally editing and thinking, okay, how long should I push this topic before moving on? Yeah. It's quite a bit of pressure that way. That's unfortunate because yeah. it doesn't lead to the best conversation when you're not paying attention to the guest and you're actually thinking of something else but I've learned over the years to bluff and I can uh, come up with the pun I remember Preston Manning a politician yeah he phoned me one day he was hosting uh, radio in Ottawa for a week he was doing the morning show and I thought what the hell does Preston Manning uh, leader of the reform party want to speak with me about but that mm-hmm. was the gist of it he wanted to know how I created the sound bite he called it he said we in politics are always looking for that golden eight seconds that will reappear on every newscast and yeah. might make a headline. And Ron, that's what kind of that pun at the end of the coach's corner is to me. So how do you come up with that? And I just said, well, it's a mix of my mother's humor, uh, a Red Deer Alberta upbringing, the back of all the <laughs> half-ton trucks, always had bumper stickers. Oh, did they? And bumper stickers were always a turn of phrase, a quip. Yeah. So I was raised in that environment, and that's uh, it was a way to, on the coach's corner, Put a little levity at the end after we've offended Quebec and Finland <laughs> and the rest of humanity. Exactly. 
Well, it's great. And you have got uh, a great list of songs here. I appreciate that. That's kind of a funny story, too, that we should talk about. So you had sent me a note after I had asked you to come uh, and be a guest on the show, and you said, okay, listen, this is the worst assignment that I've ever had. That's it. I cannot get this list down lower than 40. And I appreciate the fact it's it's tough, right? I gave you the rough copy for a souvenir of yeah, uh, some of my sketchings. But you're right. I got to 40, and then I narrowed it to 20. And if we last, we'll yep. do two shows of 10. Yes. Uh, but yeah, gosh, it was a and, and because of the way you frame it, you know, the the songs that make our skin vibrate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the damnedest thing. I'm embarrassed about many of the songs on the list. Uh, they have a personal meaning, or they have a more important. Uh, usually, uh, I chose on the basis of honoring. The influence that the artist had on me, Good. you know, uh, if, whether it's Tom Petty or Gord Downey and their songwriting, whether it's uh, some great musical riff, you know, mm-hmm. if I admire uh, a groove, like uh, not to get off topic, but Lover Boy, uh, I'm embarrassed to have Lover Boy on my list, <laughs> but Lover Boy relates to Streetheart, mm-hmm. uh, to Paul Dean was the uh, guitar player and Matt Fernet. Matt Fernet, the drummer, and they were the guts of a band called Streetheart. Streetheart. Love them. I, I again, I'm sort of embarrassed that it's a you know, the Platinum Blonde, uh, all those artists in that era kind of had a sound. Yeah. But then I find out that Prism's drummer was Jim Valance. Did you know that? That's right, yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's I, I was so grateful. You get a lot of heat about liking Prism, but yes, Jim Valance was Brian Adams' collaborator and wrote so many great songs and was yes. a great producer, Yeah. as was Bruce Fairburn, who actually did Prism's yeah. production. Uh, so I, I get to honor those people. So this list is like it is for everyone you have on the show. It's a thank you card. Yes, absolutely. Well said. And uh, I appreciate the fact that you did play it straight because, you know, we talk about this on the show all the time. You know, Blair Packham actually was on the show and and he said it was difficult for me to actually open up and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, bring those songs that make my skin vibrate because you're very tempted to prove, you know, how musically deep you are, you know, or musically sophisticated. The eclectic list that uh, (laughs) illustrates your know-how. Right. Well, the Tragically Hip, that's how they got the name, essentially, is, uh, you know, they were the guys that would always show up at the Sock Hop and try to take over the the music selection and what they thought was cool or great and not everybody liked. So maybe they were just Tragically Hip. In fact, uh, Tower of Power has a song, What is Hip? Mm -hmm. And I always like, you know, because obviously having spent so much of my life in the public eye and when I left Talking Night in Canada more or less four years ago, George Strombolopoulos, who I adore, came in uh, and I was sort of relegated, it's probably a harsh word, but I was relegated to Sunday nights uh, and Rogers Hometown Hockey, which unbeknownst to anybody involved was a thrill to me. That mm-hmm. was kind of a preference. Uh, but I remember driving to the very first show of that Sunday series, the new series, the one where I was suddenly on the fourth line, no longer on the first line. Mm. And on came the uh, Tower of Power, What is Hip? And I thought, God, what are the odds I would hear this song on this day? And the gist of what is hip is, uh, if you is hip, you have about a year to live. You know, you're all, it's already passed. Yeah. Whatever you think is hip is gone. So yeah. I love, I used to listen to Jurgen Goth. Do you know who he is? No. Jurgen Goth was a CBC announcer that did a show three to six weekday afternoons on Radio 2. Okay. And he uh, was mostly jazz and classical, but he would play some pop culture. He played Nora Jones. Uh, anyway, he... He taught me a lot, and if I wanted to try to impress you, I might pull out some of his teachings, but that, that wasn't the gist here. This is no. These are the songs that uh, are a thread of uh, how I got to be sitting here. Excellent. I love it, Ron. Thank you so much. So shall we get into it then? Yes. Okay. So the first one is by Santa Esmeralda. Now, I was saying earlier, this is from the Kill Bill soundtrack, right? Yes. It's a little bit different. 
So Eric Burden and the Animals, but they, this is the cover by Santa Esmeralda. And really, I want to play a little clip here. We're not going to play song clips because I don't want you to get burnt the way I have occasionally on TV for thousands of dollars from the artists. Uh, but I want you to hear this disc jockey because this is the only song that uh, pertains to what I often explain is my connection to music is my 10 years as a disc jockey on CKRD Radio and Red Deer. And I was also the program director. Okay. So I really admired the people who spun the records, the disc jockeys. And this is my all-time favorite. It's a guy named Raccoon Carney from his heyday in uh, Vancouver. He was on Seafun Vancouver, and I hope we can hear just a little bit of him. Yeah. So there's a little bit of music, unfortunately, in there. We'll probably get sued as it is, but uh, but you can hear the power of the man. Yeah, Raccoon is now in Winnipeg. He lives in Winnipeg. He's in sales and radio, and I was able to talk to him during the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs when the Jets were going three rounds deep. Uh, but I would sit, Brent, uh, because I was a young aspiring disc jockey, I would sit in front of my little Panasonic receiver in Red Deer, Alberta, mm-hmm. and the stations from Vancouver only came in late at night when the air was uh, appropriate, mm-hmm. uh, and I could listen to two stations, CKLG and CFUN Vancouver, and okay. they had the most unbelievable disc jockeys, Tom Lucas and Russ McLeod and all these, Jay McPhail, all these people I admired, but he was the one. Okay. Raccoon Carney, he would do song introductions, as you heard, that's a high-power foreigner cold as ice intro that's short but the song intro could be a minute 20 and he would talk over the minute 20 and he would hit the post we called it or hit the fade he would stop talking the moment the vocals of the song began uh he was energy he was uh he was just a i I sat in front of the radio as though i were watching a mystic or uh, the greatest speech of all time every night and i could never do that style of radio uh, but I, he, he turned my crank. He really got me excited for the business and what it could do to elevate a, a mood, uh, how it could make someone's day. And, and so the song I chose, Santa Esmeralda's Please Let, Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Obviously, as a guy who's been misunderstood, you go to my Wikipedia, there's more <laughs> apologies than accomplishments. And uh, <laughs> So I've been misunderstood on many occasions, just trying to be you know, a good man, as, as the song sings. But this 57-second intro I heard one night, off the top of the clock, it's 9 o'clock on the West Coast, and you're with a raccoon carny. And away <laughs> he'd go, and then he'd finish his story in 57. And when I do openings to Hockey Night in Canada... Yeah. I'm generally trying to weave a story in about 40 to 50 seconds. Yes. And I, it's all I have. And it's really hard to mentally edit on the fly and to order your words uh, so that you're clear yeah. and you're in, exciting. So he was the guy that taught me that. He, really? he taught me to do a beginning, middle, or the end to any length of time. And I would practice over and over again, introducing songs that were maybe seven seconds of an opening, a minute 12 of an opening. And that taught me the clock. Wow. Not too many people in the TV business can do that can work with the clock uh it's a great little gift to have and i unbeknowingly was learning that all those years on radio and so the santa esmeralda one is the is the intro that i recall as being my uh my template for how i would go forward wow yeah, that is he, fascinating he's a great he's a, it's nice that he's heard me talk about him a few times now and uh Again, I, I had other DJ mentors. Bruce Bowie in Edmonton was more the style that I ended up being, which was just congenial and, yeah. you know, a mix of education and uh, laughter. Uh, but but Raccoon was, you know, Anne Murray always talked. She's on her list, one of the lists. Uh, mm-hmm. She always bemoaned the state of vocal work in uh, 
music in, in the new era. Um, he, he was a talent. He was just a, uh, a really gifted. And, uh, and even that radio station, Brent, had a, a, as their campaign, the U package was a, a legendary commercial jingle package. Okay. So they uh, jingle would go, you, you are the reason we do what we do, 14C, fun. Hmm. Uh, but it was you. Uh, it taught me, again, one of the most valuable lessons in broadcasting is it's not hello, Canada, or hi, everyone. It's you. It's one-to-one communication. And that, that came from my time listening to Raccoon Carney and Santa Esmeralda. I think that's fantastic. And that's certainly, I can tell you as a listener, that certainly comes through. Yeah. It definitely does. That's part of the fascinating parts of the show for me is, is, is the lead-in. You know, they'll, they'll have a, a shot of the city. You know? Yes. And you narrate. And yeah. it, it's, it's fantastic to hear you talk about, you know, there would be a band playing before that. Right. You, you always do such a great job of it. Well, not always, but I, I, I sure know <laughs> that that's, uh, that's setting the table, right? That, yes. uh, that, that first minute, minute and a half, uh, which is a mix of uh, location, teams that are playing, song that we just heard, mm-hmm. and now hopefully some kind of a thread to get us from that to the first uh, report at an arena. Wow. And I always try to think, okay, you know, it's around Valentine's or it's around Christmas or uh, this date connects in history or, you know, the news of the week is uh, such that it begets this kind of a, an opening. And it's really fun to try and craft that and to, and to go back on my days in radio when, you know, honestly, Brent, for 33 years now, I've been saying big game tonight, folks. Mm. Uh, but I don't say folks. Uh, big game tonight. Uh, you got to figure out a new way to say it. And music's a great muse. Literature is a great muse. Yeah. Uh, I'm not too strong on pop culture, and I'm not great on social media, so I'm missing a lot there that I should start to use. But I've kind of settled into the music and literature as my devices. Uh, and that's just great. If you hit it with a... You know, I, I remember once I did a an opening on letter carriers, mm-hmm. how the mailbox was kind of uh, going the way of the dodo bird and how everybody thought when photography was invented that that would be the end of painting yes. that there would be no longer still painting and uh, but it's just the opposite you know you could never with a photograph do what uh, da vinci did with mona lisa you right. know, to capture her uh, in that painting required the stroke of a brush uh, don't know why but it did uh, require a painting versus a photograph so Photography never died, and I was sort of likening it to the spirit of the letter carrier, who was maybe losing their job. But it was the it was the job we never thought would die. Mm-hmm. The letter carrier, through you know thick and thin, through sleet, snow, hail, yeah. guaranteed to deliver the mail to your door. That vanished before painting did. And but anyway, I kind of got it all wrong. And by the time I delivered my little forty five seconds, I had offended every letter carrier that ever lived. Oh really? Yeah. So, but and and I understood why I offended them, but I. Uh, you know, they wanted to say, hey, Ron, we still have letter carriers in, you know, Mill Cove, Nova Scotia. Just because mm. in Oakville, you've got to go to your Dropbox. <laughs> uh, but so, and that's what happens, right? You cause yeah. a storm without intending. And, yeah. But I was trying. And I, so I, I've learned to accept my infallibility. <laughs> well, you know, I would hope that that would be understood, that it, it was an attempt, the, right? It, yes. Some, and you know, I mean, some like to just get at you for any good reason. Uh, yeah. There's... So please don't let me be misunderstood is the other side of that story, right? Yes. Uh, in addition to the 57 seconds intro, uh, just that lyric constantly makes me smile that, uh, you know, you want to make God laugh. Tell him your plans. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next you've got on the list uh, Matt Mays, who I love. Mm-hmm. And you have listed uh, Take It On Faith here. And I, uh, I actually fell in love with them over Cocaine Cowgirl, their first Me too. hit. And I saw them perform that song at the 
Juno Awards, the year of the NHL lockout was 2004-05. So I was able to go to the Junos in their entirety. I usually got to either a Friday night if it was local, or maybe I could jet out to the Sunday show. Now we have hometown hockey has made Mm. that impossible. But I, of course, because I love music, would always be thrilled to get to the Junos. I was always excited if I was asked to play in the Juno Hockey Cup as a, a game they play on the Friday evening. But yeah. that year, there was no hockey, no NHL hockey, so I got to enjoy the whole weekend in Winnipeg. And the show was at MTS Centre, and the night before, they had uh, some of the awards on the Saturday evening, and Matt Mays played. And I always remember he and the band turning to the drum kit, you know, toward the end of the uh, Cocaine Cowgirl crescendo. Mm-hmm. And I remember a buddy of mine, an NHL player who's a great musician, Brad Delgarno, saying, don't think they should do that. I don't think they should, you know, turn their butts to our faces uh, mm. when we're in the crowd. So I wrote Matt a poem one day: uh, <laughs> "Asses to faces, rhythm to bases, making their cases. The world's Matt Mazes." Uh, it's not the perfect uh, rhyme, but I, I wrote him a little note, I, I, and that's when I loved the band because it was a groove, undeniable great guitar uh, groove, and of his repertoire, there's a lot of songs I love. On the hood of the car is one of them, right there for me. Uh, mm-hmm. But Take It On Faith we used at the Rio, no, the Sochi Olympics in 2014. And uh, he wrote that, he says, in about 20 minutes. Really? Uh, and yeah, I always remember Glenn Fry saying he wrote uh, Lion Eyes in 20 minutes. And he said oh. two decades later, the late Glenn Fry, he said, I, two years I couldn't get a song accomplished. And Leonard Cohen famously took five years to do Hallelujah. Yeah. Uh, but Matt wrote Keep It On Faith in 20 minutes. And I think that's, again, one of those uh, out of thin air, the greatest art, right? Uh, it just seems to be inexplicable it, uh, it shows up and that song showed up for him and of course it's just a gorgeous song and it's uh, heartfelt and Matt will teach you that uh, a lot of his music has kind of the jigs and reels uh, descending sound that uh, I've always seen seen him as the next Tom Petty or the next great one mm-hmm. uh, I've always believed in his work as being uh, least appreciated in North America he's he's fantastic so that song had to be on the list for me I agree with that. No, it's a great pick. I uh, I liken him to Ryan Adams, if you're familiar. Yes, of course. Bit. Yeah, yeah. Ryan's, uh, you know, some of the heartbreak stuff he wrote after his divorce uh, yeah. was just, uh, you know, he's he's a great writer. The lyrics match the music. Um, it's so hard to be without you. Is that uh, mm-hmm. Ryan Adams? Uh, I think it's just called "Be Without You," but that's yeah. one of my favorite songs. Was, I didn't do much in the way of current music. You know, if I was to do current music, it would be the Decemberists, or it would be uh, yeah. Kurt Vile, or it would be nice. Uh, and Matt's still current, so uh, I think New York City Women or Girls is his latest, uh, which is now a good year old. Yeah. But he's, uh, yeah, if you get the chance to see Matt in concert, uh, another special moment for me reflecting on him is after the Tragically Hip score, Downey died. Mm -hmm. Uh, He did Locked in the Trunk of the Car for about 20 minutes down in Nova Scotia. He did just an endless, you know, riff. And I, uh, sometimes late at night when I'm doing what I always do, drink and turn to YouTube (laughs) and listen to music, I watched that and just thought, yeah, that's right up there with uh, Grateful Dead or John Mayer or any of the great uh, long songs. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. Okay, next, uh, you have got Men at Work and Overkill. This is a curious pick. Yes, it is. So they're, I mean, you know, if you want to know the Coles Notes version, obviously their first album was uh, Down Under and Men at Work's uh, Who Can It Be Now was the first song to break, and Canada broke them. One of their connections there is they broke in Canada on Winnipeg Radio uh, before they broke in the United States. And in fact, uh, the States was always a, a song behind 
on yeah. the Hot 100 on Billboard. But it broke uh, Who Can It Be Now in Winnipeg first, and then they followed with Down Under, and then Be Good Johnny were from the initial album, Business As Usual. Yeah. And then the second album, again, uh, Cargo, and why the song makes my skin crawl, uh, Overkill, is that lyric, uh, I can't get to sleep. Mm. And, of course, if you're a broadcaster, uh, you know that... Uh, People like to kid in broadcasting. They've never worked a day in their life. But the truth is they've never had a minute off. Mm. You're endlessly preparing. You have the sword of Damocles hanging over you the entire time thinking, oh, God, I hope I have the right question tonight. I hope I have the good 45-second opening tonight. So I'm always uh, thinking about the situation and realizing the complication and all that's in this song. And I mean, it was the first uh, song, and uh, Men at Work hit number one with both their album and the a song that was off of uh, with Down Under. Only Australian band to ever do that. Mm. And I always likened Australia to Canada. So the fact that they broke in Western Canada, you know, we had a DJ at CKRD, David Jones, who mm-hmm. came, came from uh, FM 94 in Winnipeg. And that was the station that broke this band. And I felt like we get to take a little credit, right? Uh, sure. I, I was proud. Super Tramp Out West was a, a band that uh, first hit in Western Canada. So being a Red Deer, Alberta boy, I took pride in little things such as that and okay. uh, but I think Colin Hay his performance on this song uh, it's a very philosophical uh, very you know it's a little bit away from the calypso sound that they had on the first album mm-hmm. uh, or reggae sound would be I guess the way to say it uh, it's just a fantastic penetrating song that really hit me uh, right between the ears so mm-hmm. I love it and uh, was wanted to, you to know that Winnipeg uh, was the one that broke that <laughs> well we know now and super tramp Don, Don Cherry always kids that I'm from Red River which is Winnipeg not Red Deer right yeah oh really <laughs> yeah super tramp I loved uh, I don't know if you're a fan but they mm-hmm. I, I got to see them Big a few fan. times in Alberta I, I had a great run of concerts in uh, the 80s I saw Queen's last show on a tour wow it was the last show of the 84 83 tour so March 18th 1983 I'm at uh, what was then called the Northlands Coliseum and it was the tire mother down tour and I remember the mirror ball and the show and they came back and did six encores. Wow. Because it was the last tour stop. Oh, and really? Freddie Mercury was in a mood. Who I Sadly, I don't have Freddie on the t- uh, list here. I mean, if I was going to pick his song, it was I Want to Be Free by, by Queen would be there. Um, but he was he was doing Elvis. He was, uh, it was unbelievable. And yeah. I saw Supertramp two weeks later, and it was almost as good. Uh, they had a great visual art show. They were one of the first to kind of move into that genre. And I saw uh, Police, you know, right through that era with uh, some of their greatest work. So it was a great time. I always think that 76 through 78 is the greatest period in music. Yeah. But uh, that little era from 83 to 86 is not far behind. Yeah, I've said that before. 75 Have you? Yeah. To 75 to 80? Think about the rock that was available then with oh Cheap my. Trick, Blondie. There's just so many great, great bands. Do you know how old time. Blondie is? No. 73 and I, I, I still yeah, see her I really? see her from time to time and she looks 18 still really yeah she she really looks well and uh, you know she represents uh, she represents for me what I hope for my life like I grew old I, 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 and I've lived a fairly hard life I'm not crazy hard liver but I'm hard enough mm-hmm. and you know between the pressure the travel drinking to just beer and wine but drinking yep. um, late nights uh, I, I feel like I aged a little ahead of most of the the world um, and I just love the she always 
if you listen to Blondie, especially in interviews, she she bemoans the the lack of the rock and roll, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. She yeah. she realizes, like we all do, ethics is important, and she wants the world to behave <laughs> and to learn and to do. You know, Patty Smith's a great spokesperson in that regard. Yeah. But I I love the I can see the devil in Blondie, and so when I see a seventy three year old woman who is uh, just such a uh, such a leader. Yeah. Is she still out there? Is she still playing? No, I don't think she's playing, but. Uh, I wish she were. Um, she, she, I saw her interviewed about uh, six months ago, and it was just a very pensive. She's a pensive woman. Uh, yeah. When you look at her, it's penetrating. Uh, you know there's a lot of depth there. And, yeah, Rapture, you know, that was yeah. uh, one of the first hip-hop rock rap songs, I should say. I guess. It was. Yeah. It was so pioneering. That's right. Yeah. And everything she did was, like, tied as high as reggae. And yep. she just, Heart of Glass was, you know, clever. Um, yeah. Oh God, she was she was amazing, and uh, and that so that in that little window you describe, we have uh, Fleetwood Mac at the height, we have mm-hmm. Boston, we have Dire Straits, we have uh, so many uh, groundbreaking bands, and then you know I was seventy eight was my high school year. We had the Bee Gees uh, lit it up with disco. Yeah. I, even though yeah. you know you can, I need awards ring my bell drove me to destruction when I was a DJ. I hated it so much, yeah. and I had to play it day after day because it was the number one song. <laughs> Uh, now I kind of like it, uh, and I could have overdosed on anything from Saturday Night Fever, but it was hard not to appreciate the falsetto. You know, to appreciate what the Bee Gees were doing, and yeah, that my my when I graduated, the hit song that was number one was Shadow Dancing by Andy Gibb, and yep. uh, I like the concept of shadow dancing. I always feel that my entire life, however and whatever I do, I am doing it in a shadow dance with the people that showed me the way. Interesting. Yeah, so I was lucky to have that song as the number one song. When I completed, for me, my education was grade 12, right? And then, bang, I'm a DJ and I'm on my way. I love that you look at your life through the prism of music. Oh, undeniably. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, well, I won't spoil what's coming down the line. But that's, again, it it starts, you know, right when I was about four years old, songs began to matter. Usually it began with Christmas music, but outside of carols. uh, You know, I felt the joy of my parents uh, around music. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then... I didn't really pay attention, Brent, to lyrics too too much until to this day. I'm sad I didn't read much, and yeah. I didn't really pay attention to Gordon Lightfoot's lyrics. I just mm. went for, I loved rock. I loved, you know, Deep Purple and Budgie and uh, Budgie. Fog Hat. And uh, everything had to be six guitars going a mile a minute. <laughs> I, I couldn't care what you said. I didn't uh, know that about you. Yeah, so, yeah. But I'm not, I, I never really advanced to the, you know, heavier stuff. I didn't mm. go, I, I mean, I loved Motley Crue, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't do... Uh, the real iron. I, I was. I was more or less. Uh, I was kid. Uh, some of my. A lot of people love Queens of the Stone Age, and I think that their guitars sound like kazoo's. Uh, but you know, and I did like a lot of kazoo music, so I shouldn't knock it. But I, I was a little more bubblegum than the hard drivers. Yeah. Well, '80s metal. I mean, wasn't you know Poison, Motley Crue, yes. Warrant, all that stuff it was pretty poppy. Yes, it was. You know, but then you also kickstart had, my heart. Well, yeah, exactly. I liked fifty four forty. I've always loved, they didn't make the list. Yeah. I always liked uh, you know their guitar riffs, and uh, they weren't necessarily hard driving. But uh, I thought they were a very underrated Canadian band as well. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Okay, so next you've got uh, speaking of Canadian bands, Pagliero. Yeah, and this he's goes a, back to the seventies, right? Some sing, some dance. So the story here on Pagliero is: uh, I used to go down to Brad Richards, an NHL player, retired now, but he had a charity golf tournament in PEI, and we would yep. always end the tournament gathered at a friend. His name, 
we called him House Cat because he would come to your house and never leave. Okay. But his real name is Trevor Burt. And Trevor <laughs> would have a bunch of us over. And there was one player, Terry Ryan, just appeared a little bit in the NHL. He was a first-round pick, eighth overall by the Montreal Canadiens. Great mm-hmm. hockey player, but concussions did him in. Anyway, he would end the night, whatever time the night ended. Usually it was about 9 the next morning. <laughs> he would give us a song to take home. Oh. A song that represented uh, that weekend. Okay. And like... Crazy stuff. Frank Mills, music box dancer. He would send us home with that. Or he would send us home with the Beatles, A Hard Day's Night. Or he would send us home with Elton John, uh, and I guess that's why they call it the blues. But there was always a little story, and Pagliaro was the hit one year that he sent me home with. Some sing, some dance. No, I'd known it from my youth, but I didn't really uh, pay a whole lot of attention to it until Terry Ryan showed it to me that night. So I kind of associated it with a really fond time on Prince Edward Island. Uh, and then I, I wanted to clear it to play on a Montreal Canadiens broadcast. Ah. And I couldn't, could not get the clearance. And I was at a Brian Adams show. He was doing a show at the Carlou in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Keith Scott and uh, Brian were doing mainly an acoustic set. Okay. No drums, no electric guitar. And uh, an agent at that show said, oh, Shel Pagliaro is by far the hardest Canadian to clear. Harder than Neil Young. Harder than anyone. Really? Yeah, but eventually we got it cleared. In the 2010 Stanley Cup playoffs, I don't know if we wrote a letter that, you know, was strippy or what happened, but we were able to get Michelle to allow us to play the song, Some Sing, Some Dance. And it was springtime in Montreal, and uh, everybody was in, uh, you know, nicer clothing, and Crescent Street and Bishop Street were packed, and my favorite little bar, Ziggy's, where Mordecai Richler used to go. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw, you know, the crowd outside Ziggy's, and so that's how the show starts. And then I mentioned it's the Montreal Canadiens and the Philadelphia Flyers, and then I mentioned that it's Michelle Pagliaro. And uh, the song was so Quebec. You know, it could have been uh, Jeanette Renault. Uh, uh, there's so many I could mention, but um, he, for me, uh, you know, Rock was in, I guess, a little more modern, Gino Vanelli, but yep. he's Montreal, Michelle mm-hmm. Pagliaro. And so that's sort of my salute to, as you'll notice, uh, I just mentioned uh, PEI and Good Times. It takes you to a place, right? Yes. Every song takes you to a place. Yeah. That song takes me to uh, Philadelphia Flyers and the Montreal Canadiens 2010 and maybe the finest of Carey Price and uh, the finest of a party one night in Covehead PEI. That's, That's where I heard it. so great. That's a great story, Ron. Next, you've got another Canadian outfit, Junkhouse. I love this song, Out of My Head, Tom yeah. Wilson. Were you familiar with it? Did oh, God, yeah. yeah I you know, when this I, came out. I loved it. I kind of liken it to Rock and Roll by Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, uh, I think John Bonham admits, is a ripoff of Little Richard, uh, Keeping On, uh, Keep Keeping On. Well, and Zeppelin stuff's a ripoff. Of yeah, <laughs> but it's still great, right? Oh, God, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and this, to me, is rock and roll by Zeppelin. Uh, it's, for me, close to the greatest Canadian rock and roll song of all time. It's Tom Wilson, the singer at his, you know, before he kind of got a little off the rails with uh, alcohol. Such a talent, Tom Wilson. Um, great writer, great performer amazing voice mm-hmm. uh, so he's uh, at his shaggiest uh, freaking best and yeah. uh, you know that band Junkos I used Shine uh, from another album later on to close no to open the uh, 2000 Olympics in Sydney Australia I'm just such a Junkos fan and anything that Tom has collaborated on you know Blackie and the Rodeo Kings or he's done 
a lot of great work with his son. Mm-hmm. Amazing musician, but the song itself also speaks to Hamilton. Okay. Uh, so again, I lived at that time in Ancaster, which is on the uh, mountain, they call it. <laughs> so yeah. it's just up the hill on the Highway 403 uh, next to Hamilton. And I lived in the area when I was learning about Robbie Robertson, when I was learning about Daniel Langwall, when I was learning about all, Kathleen Edwards ended up marrying Colin Cripps for a time. And uh you know, the scene there uh, is a great music scene, great history. And Chunkhouse, Tom Wilson, uh, I think is, you know, you, you can't, they, there's this old saying, you can't know France if you don't know wine. I don't really think you can know music in Canada if you don't know Hamilton. Hmm. So this was my homage to Hamilton and Tom Wilson. And he's still out there. Actually. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. performing and he, he is a funny guy. If you ever get a chance to attend anything Tom does, uh, he's just such a smart guy and uh, uh he he wrote a great book oh boy it's scars i think it's, it might yeah. just be scar or scars because i confuse with uh anthony ketis's uh you know scar, scar tissue, tissue right. right um but in in the book he reveals learning about his mohawk heritage tom had no idea that he was raised by people who weren't his actual mom and dad oh uh, he was raised by his mother was kind of always around but she never let on that uh, his mother was not his birth mother uh-huh. and uh, he found out about his first nations mohawk history uh, much later in life and that book is uh, is brilliant and he talks about i remember in the book uh, a little story here uh, the song that you know for him kind of set him on the path was Gordon Lightfoot's If You Could Read My Mind. Beautiful that was song. the song he remembered listening to as a 10-year-old boy and he's thinking, I got to do that for a living. Wow. I really want to be that guy. So that's who inspired him. Not bad, huh? And yeah. uh, I remember when Chris Hatfield, our great astronaut, when he went into space for the first time to lead, uh, uh, well, both times. He's been in space three times, but the first time and also the third time, he was actually leading an expedition to the space station. Mm-hmm. And he used to always say on the launch pad, he had a little playlist of songs that would put him in the right frame of mind to concentrate as heavily as he would need to concentrate over the next uh, few seconds. And the last song he always played was the same song, If You Could Read My Mind by uh, Gordon Lightfoot. That would tune him up so that he was ready to uh, feel the rumble of the the rocket ship and uh, get on with the work at hand. Neat, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great... Gordon Lightfoot is such a... We had the joy, uh, Tar and I got to interview him on Rogers Hometown Hockey when we were in Orillia. And uh, I have a funny image of Gordon sitting on his front step. He's got a nice place over on Bridal Path. Mm -hmm. And he's sitting on a rickety little lawn chair. You know, it's the kind you buy at a Kresge's or a Woolworth's (laughs) or whatever the cheap stores are now. And uh, he's sitting in this rickety chair with a cigarette looking out right across the street is Drake's house. Drake has moved, so... I don't know where Drake is now. I think he's still in that same vicinity, but he's not across the street from Gordon Lightfoot. But I just thought, my God, this is Gordon Lightfoot having a smoke, staring at Drake's house, and I'm about to interview him. And, uh, (laughs) you know, how did it get to be? How did this ever happen? so bizarre. Yeah, I was a DJ, and now I'm here with Gordon Lightfoot. And he was so thrilled to talk about the Maple Leafs and hockey, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, if you could read my mind, is the one that got Tom Wilson uh, ordered up. Fantastic. More Canadian content, Loverboy and Turn yeah. Me Loose. So uh, I think I was saying to you before we started to do the podcast, uh, I loved uh, Loverboy, and I remember the time. I, I always think about when is the first time you hear a song. It kind of lets you know greatness is at hand. You know, mm-hmm. the first time we ever heard Guns N' Roses, the very first time, maybe you heard it differently, but on radio it was a Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah. So you heard Slash's riff and you knew, oh, my God. This is great. Uh, the first time you hear Dire Straits was uh, 
Sultans of Swing, and you knew, oh, my God, you know, this is yes. great. Boston's going to come up on one of my lists. Uh, first time we heard it was more than a feeling, and uh, Tom Schultz was doing interesting things, and you knew this is going to be great. So the first time you hear Loverboy, 1980-81, whatever it is, Turn Me Loose is the song, and I distinctly remember Brent being parked in my car, I hope I wasn't high, but it's around high school. Uh, I'm sitting at the uh, front doors of a 7-Eleven at the Park Plaza Hotel, and somebody's in getting a hoagie or a herbie or whatever you buy from the food counter at 7-Eleven, and I hear this come on the radio. What I didn't know at the time, because it's the first time I'm hearing it, is that it's the guts of Streetheart, that it is Paul Dean, and it is uh, Matt Frenette, the drummer from Calgary, is, you know, who I loved. I adored Streetheart. I loved yeah. the album Meanwhile Back in Paris. The second song on that album is Can You Feel It, which is another song I've used for Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah. Uh, and I just used to be so in love with uh, Streetheart and that song, Can You Feel It? So unbeknownst to me, it's two of the principal players from Streetheart are the new uh, leaders of... Uh, you know, Mike Reno's band, Loverboy. Mm-hmm. And that song, bless his heart, Scott Smith died. Uh, he was swept overboard sailing a sailboat in San Francisco Bay. Um, but the bass line and the sound of the music uh, and the song for me was like the, uh, okay, if I can't have uh, Platinum Blonde and Honeymoon Suite and Streetheart and all these other foolish bands, I'm kidding when I say that, <laughs> but all of these bands that kind of had the same headbanging, uh, and it certainly wasn't mindless, but it was very easy uh, messaging yep. uh, all those bands were you know the soundtrack of my high school life yep. uh, and this band for me got it to the nth uh, this was lover boy so it was just a great song to hear uh, and know that that riff would lead to many more and it did oh, they certainly. sold uh, last I heard they'd sold 25 million you know records that's a that's a lot of uh, this this was on their first record I think it was called lover boy and then yes. get lucky came out after that I that's believe, right, right with working for the weekend and that's right but, uh, yeah, Turn Me Loose. Uh, and a great, uh, you know, a little bit speaks to my heart, too. You know, the, the, that notion of I've always been a bit reckless. I, I know I'm probably that polished, you know, tightwad you see on TV. But uh, <laughs> as lots of, you know, people are, we're not this or that. We're this and that. Mm-hmm. And my that can be uh, Turn Me Loose. <laughs> so I, it really spoke to me, uh, the lyrics. and But more than that, it was just that music out of the gate was uh, what a feeling. Just to be sitting in a parked car, Dodge Coronet, and then hear that pulsing sound and thinking, oh boy, that is... You know, uh, Mr. Mister came along uh, 1985, uh, sang a song called uh, Broken Wings. Broken Wings was their first single, and Kiri came out after that. Yeah, I think it's Broken Wings, though, that has the same sound. And, you know, it's kind of the hi-hat symbol, and uh, I felt like they were stealing Turn Me Loose by Loverboy, and I wanted to phone and tell them, but... uh, it was okay. You're right. You know, that you'd have to. You know, to if you're, if you're bored, sometimes listen. To, I might have the wrong song, but I'm pretty sure. No, I'm, I'm. So I'm thinking about "Turn Me Loose," and it starts with that kind of synth ascension, right? Yes. And then do 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 the bass. Yes. Yeah, but you know, "Broken Wings" is the same kind of construct, isn't it? Yes. And uh, do, it's like do do do. I loved uh, Paola's uh, "Eyes oh, of a Stranger." Oh yeah, me you know, too. For, uh, Anything that crescendos I love. Anything that builds, you know, U2, Streets Have No Name. Yes. Those are great for TV. Those are great for openings. For oh, some, yeah. You know, so I, I, I'm always looking for that. Uh, you know, I was so frustrated during the playoffs. We, uh, I requested Brian Adams, uh, you want it, you got it. Yep. Not a big hit, not a hit at all, uh, but a song that I happen to like. And uh, it really cooks at the end. Much like Can You Feel It by Streetheart cooks at the end. Okay. Uh, I wanted that, but we cut it short. <laughs> we cut it before the crescendo, before oh, no. the climax. It still was fine, but it was, no, 
you can't do that. You can't. You cannot turn that. And that's a challenge for us endlessly. Is you know you can't play oh, a seven yeah. minute song. Yeah. But we had a great music uh, creator producer Tim Thompson, yeah. uh, and Tim somehow for a few years got away with putting just about a whole song on the openings for Hockey Night in Canada. Mm. God, he did some incredible stuff with Arcade Fire and The Hip, and he got uh, Neil Young to agree to open for us. He was an amazing genius uh, of doing Hockey Night openings, uh, him and an editor named Jeff Schlage. Mm-hmm. But I would have loved uh, Jeff to have had a little more time with uh, Brian Adams' You Want It, You Got It. We used that to open Game 7 of 94 Rangers Vancouver with the whole song, yep. and then we used it again this year in the Jets playoffs, but it wasn't the same. You know, I'm surprised that you would have difficulty at all getting licensing for any of those, as, yeah. as from Canadian musicians at least. Well, right? I, I just think they're, uh, you know, sometimes they're hard to get a hold of. Like one time mm. I was at the, uh, because it's a, a fast-moving target the Stanley Cup yes situations change the storyline changes so when I was in uh, the Commonwealth Games in Kuala Lumpur in 1998 in Malaysia we realized we needed a head by a century from the tragically hip to be our closing montage our song uh, the shroud there's one word in the you know you tilt uh, I tilt my hand you tilt my crown whatever it is um it was all perfect for Malaysia, but, mm-hmm. but it was kind of a last-minute inspiration. And now we're trying to get a hold of their then-manager, Jake Gold. Yes. And it was uh, a Jewish holiday, and I couldn't get a hold of Jake. And, uh, you know, so we took a chance that Gord Downey and the gang wouldn't come after us, and they didn't. But Jake, at first, was kind of offended that we would, you know, go ahead and use one of the songs without clearance. So mm. there's a there's legal, you know, work to it. And, and bands really had to be careful uh, in the 1980s not to be taken advantage of. They, yeah. You know, we're Canada, right? We're sweet. Uh, our our artists would never, you know, they know their place, right? Mm. But then they would make no money because uh, nobody looked after them. So yeah, uh, we we are CBC, of course, was uh, it's in their DNA to be responsible and get it right. Yeah. Uh, so we were always very careful to make sure we cleared the songs. Yeah. We we we've been burned a few times too, where we took liberties, and so we should have been. Mm. Okay, great pick. Next pick. This is uh, Mud Crutch, Tom Petty's oh, old new band. Yes. And uh, the song is called I Forgive It All. And this is one you've got to go and look at it on YouTube. There's two variations. Well, there's probably more than two, but uh, there's one. A guy in the crowd records Tom singing it, and you'll know you're on the right one if you hear Tom say, I don't know what happened. Uh, this is a song I wanted everybody to listen to, and I was asking them to be quiet. And uh, everybody was so quiet, and then I realized I did it three songs before we were supposed to do I Forgive It All. So, <laughs> But anyway, he says, I hope you like it. And that's the and, and the camera guy, it was just a smartphone, gets in on Tom's face uh, at the end, Tom Petty's face, mm-hmm. uh, when he's singing the refrain, which is, uh, people are what people make them, and that ain't going to change. Mm-hmm. People are what people make them, ain't nothing you can rearrange. I love it. And then he says, on this earth, I forgive it all. It is my favorite uh, song in terms of writing. I love Swinging, which we'll talk about on another show, probably most musically. But I love this song for, uh, when I think of Tom, uh, God Love Him, died at 67, right? I saw his uh, show in Baltimore last year. Mm. For my 50th birthday, I went to see Tom Petty. That was my 50th birthday party, was to go see Tom Petty at Madison Square Garden, New York. Huge Petty fan. So there's that rendition where you see Petty closing the song, I Forgive It All. And that's how I want to remember Tom. His face, it's tight on his face. Uh, it's heartfelt. It's just sublime. And then the other version is uh, is the video that they produced. Uh, have you seen it? Yeah, Anthony Hopkins. So it's Anthony frickin' Hopkins. And Sean Penn produced it, I yes. think. Yes, yeah. and it is also gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, and uh, 
notwithstanding the brilliance of the song and that concept of uh, people are what people make them, just what you can watch with this song is uh, is otherworldly. And Mudcrutch is uh, Bernie Layden's uh, brother. Uh, so Bernie was the uh, Eagles. Uh, his brother Tom, I think it is, is in the band. It's basically uh, the Heartbreakers. Mike Campbell is playing guitar. I think Steve Ferroni drums for it. Ben Montench is in there. Uh, so it's it's still Tom Petty. Mm-hmm. But they did so many really great songs. Uh, he only did two albums. Oh, God. You know, I was over in Europe just on a vacation recently in both Italy and Malta in the Mediterranean. I was going through old record shops, vinyl shops, looking for... Oh, gosh. I meant Brent to bring you. I bought you two albums, and I forgot to bring them to Did today. you really? I have two albums for you, and I'll get them to you. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, two vinyl. One modern, one a little older. Wow. And they were supposed to be your gifts, and I completely forgot to oh, just discussing. Oh, to do that. I thank was searching so for vinyl in Europe for myself. I bought yours at uh, Rick's Recollections in Port Credit is okay. where I buy vinyl. Yeah. Great store, so I, uh, I don't know. Nice for Rick to have a plug. Uh, but I bought you two. Uh, you'll get them later. Thank you so anyway, much. Anyway, I couldn't find Petty in Europe to save my soul. He's just not big over there, right? And mm. it's you know it's all Bowie and Pink Floyd, and uh, I felt bad. You know, I think uh, I know he's American, much like the hip, I guess, or Canadian, in a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's so great. And Mudcrutch, if you don't know his Mudcrutch, uh, it's your duty. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, really. He's, he's Hope is one of his nice songs. Uh, you know, Tom is just. Uh, all about our vulnerability. He is yep. uh, he is a great you know the greatest Tom Petty album, not Mudcrutch, but Petty album for me is Echo, mm-hmm. which he wrote after Howie Epstein, his bassist, had uh, succumbed to his chains of addiction. He uh, wrote it after his divorce, his first wife. Uh, so in in the absolute darkness, he produced Echo, but Mudcrutch to me is two albums of Echo. Uh, it's just yeah. absolutely uh, illuminating. Yeah. And for petty fans who don't know, Mudcrutch was his first band, I believe, that yes. Mudcrutch started and in 75. I think they did one record. The record company dropped them. Petty went off and formed Heartbreakers with a couple of the guys. And then later on, I don't know what year it was, he got back. He, I think... 2015, I think. Yeah. Reformed Mudcrutch. Yes. Which was fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, there again, Petty has the Traveling Wilburys. Yeah. Or, you know, Jeff Lynne came in and produced uh, Full Moon Fever and uh, Into the Great Wide Open. So, yeah. and Tom really loved that uh, and loved Jeff Lynne, even though I think he thinks Wildflowers is his greatest album. Yes. Tom, it's certainly his greatest song, and I think he thinks that's the best album. Um, I'm almost positive of that. But he has three great bands. Uh, Mudcrutch yeah. isn't that well known, so I guess two great bands. Traveling Wilburys is obviously Roy Orbison and Bob Dylan and Jeff Lynne and, I mean, are you kidding? Yeah. Uh, everybody loved Tom. Uh, he just, you know, Ben Montench, the piano player, Ben Montench the third. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what the history is there. That's the piano board or keyboard player. But Ben Mont said Tom would drive him nuts because all he wanted to do, he, just Ben Mont, just go plink, plink, plink. That's all I need. <laughs> I know you know Rachmaninoff, but I don't need Rachmaninoff right now. I just want plink, plink, plink. Uh, simple, right? He, Tom was so bare bones in everything that he, you know, yes. did. I mean, when you see them live, obviously Mike Campbell can go, and uh, both drummers, Steve Ferroni, and before that Stan Lynch, are as good a performance drummers as you'll ever see. Yeah. Especially maybe Stan for his solos, but there again, I think Ferroni fit nicely because he would do the the basics. He would keep he and the Ron Blair who took over for Howie Epstein. They would keep what. Tom knew was uh, something the, the the backbone that would not be a distraction. Yes, yeah. lovely band though, and Mudcrutch is just uh, I forgive it all. Is uh, you know that again is uh, speaks to how I sort of perceive life is. Uh, 
without kindness, without compassion, you know, what are we? What is what is the point of? I have a stupid little crochet saying on my bathroom wall. We're not here to see through each other. We're here to see each other through. Mm. It's kind of corny, but I love it. It's and that's what I forgive it all sort of in bodies. Absolutely, it does. Yeah. Ah, Ron. Next, next is Prism. Good. A band we both love, and I, t- I, I told you earlier before this, I take a lot of stick for liking Prism, but uh, you've got Take Me to the Captain here. So that's the song I chose for my grade 12 basketball team to hit the court. You always go out for the shoot-around before a basketball game, yeah. and uh, you need uh, some music. And the song that we hit the court with was Prism's Take Me to the Captain. I was a huge fan of the album, Spaceship Superstar. Their uh, first yes. album is just Prism. But uh, what I didn't know when I was in love with Take Me to the Captain, and I used to be, Brent, uh, before I got into professionally broadcasting in grade 12, I was already doing some operating at the radio station CKRD, but I was mm-hmm. on the radio at noon hour in our high school, Camille J. LaRouge. I would play music at noon hour, and I would play Nazareth, and I would do all kinds of stuff. And yeah. But I loved Prism. I, you know, people were sick of Prism by the time I was finished. But they were, they were hot. They were breaking in 78 with the first album in Canada in history. Mm-hmm. First album ever to debut, Platinum. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I did not know is that that song, Take Me to the Captain, was written by Jim Valance, the mm. incredible songwriter who is essentially the second half of everything ever written by Brian Adams. Mm-hmm. He's collaborated on so many great hits. Uh, he's produced so much great music. And he was the guy who was in Prism, the drummer, but he didn't use his real name, Jim Valance. He used a pseudonym, Rodney Higgs. And the reason is he was terrified that if the album was a flop, Prism's debut album, He'd be scarred forever. Uh, he, know you know, people loved Jim Vallance's writing, and they, you know, he had song singers from all over uh, the world coming to to play and to record his songs. Yeah. But he knew that if Prism was a uh, no good, that would be the end of him as a songwriter. Wow. So he took a fake name, Rodney Higgs, <laughs> and he went in and he drummed. And as I say, the album went to platinum, so it did well, not not exceedingly well. Bruce Fairburn produced it; was also iconic in production. Mm-hmm. But it's a great. You know, it's a guitar-like song, and it's it's actually about the environment, and it's uh, it's ahead of its time in terms of its lyrics, as Jim Valance always was. Uh, it's about not taking care of the planet, not taking care of people. You know, it, I, I shouldn't be embarrassed to like the song, and then it's just got a kick-ass rock and roll right from the moment, you know, it hits. It's like uh, a Guns N' Roses start yes. to a song. So, Right? Yeah. See, I've always said that. Their singer, Rob Tabak. Yeah, God, what a story, too. Yeah, it's an awful story about how he died at 31, hit by a car, cycling. Yeah. Um, You know, you can hear a little bit of Axl Rose in his voice. Yes. I always thought. Do you get that Yeah, he's high for sure. Brad Delp, uh, you know, Getty Lee, there's some of those guys that are uh, got that whale, right? Yes. It's just a higher whale. And uh, he was great. Um, Later on, some of the songs were not so... So Jim Valance leaves the band after the first album. Mm -hmm. He no longer drums in the band. He didn't want to tour. He was too busy with his other parts of his career. He still wrote for Prism. Yeah. But uh, I think Ron wrote See Forever Eyes, which is also one of my favorite... uh, And that's a building song. That's a, you know... Kind of like Hollywood Nights by Bob Seger. It just kind of has a, stays in the same place, but keeps going long enough that it feels like it's building. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they they had a night to remember was a big hit for them later on. So they I think mm-hmm. did three albums before Ron was tragically killed by. And they've done they they still perform uh, now, but with uh, you know everybody is kind of a replacement uh, yeah. member. Yeah. They're missing the uh, the two key guys I think in uh, Valance and. And, and, and Ron, yeah, it was never really the same for me when he 
was no longer in the band. Um, I loved Armageddon. That was my first yes. prison record. I got that, I think, when I was like 10 years old and loved it. And uh, later on, stuff like Open Soul Surgery. It's just a great flat-out rock and roll song. Oh, they were good. Yeah. yeah. They, they were, I mean, obviously, this is, Fairburn is a, a great producer, so it's like anything that uh, Bob Rock did mm-hmm. had a sound that I think is similar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they, they weren't as, uh, as heavy as Lars Ulrich and Metallica, but, but they certainly had uh, greatness, in my opinion. I, I, I just love Prism. I love the name Prism. I, yeah. I, I like the concept of uh, all those colors, and I love the idea of a filter. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, everything, they, they, I can't remember, they had a different name chosen, and then they elected to go with Prism at the very last moment. It's like uh, Tom Petty's You Wreck Me. Mm. The song was called You Destroy Me. And oh, really? just before they did it, he, he said, I can't. It just doesn't work. I can't do You Destroy Me. Uh, and he, some divine intervention got him to You Wreck Me. Oh, I didn't know and, that. Yeah, and Prism, they, they changed their name right at the last second before they released their first album. Mm. We'd have to look it up, but that's, yeah, I remember that about them. And they, So now I'm a DJ, but this time I'm on the air and I'm looking for songs that are, are great to play as a desk jockey. And Take Me to the Captain was my uh, was one of my favorites. I loved Van Halen in that day. Oh, yeah. The Night Away. Certain songs would just put me in the mood that Santa Esmeralda and the Raccoon Carney did. Yeah. Okay, last tune by The Hip. So this is a bit of a surprise, though. This selection, you picked the wherewithal. Right. What's the story behind that? Well, again, it's more to do with uh, the lyrics in the song. When when, uh, Gord Downey says, uh, I always liked that guy. He's not on TV anymore. Anymore, yeah. To get out before. He had the wherewithal, which is obviously a statement about, you know, you're not caught up in the fame and the fortune and uh, you're not trapped by uh, the industry. You have uh, the wherewithal to just be enough, mm-hmm. to be yourself. Mm-hmm. So I love that part of it. I saw it actually in performance one time when Johnny Faye did a drum solo that was otherworldly. Uh, that even accentuated my joy about that song. It's from Fully Completely. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the, I don't want to say it's the album, but certainly they did a concert not long before Gord was diagnosed where they played the hips fully completely from start to finish yeah. it's cut 11 on the album uh, there isn't a song on fully completely I don't adore but as much as uh, you know the Marshall McLuhan courage there's so much good stuff there I, I remember vividly being again in St. John New Brunswick it's not the first time the hips out because their first album up to here had already been out but the first time I heard Road Apples was of course uh, you know Little Bones Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I saw it, uh, there was a Mustang parked at a red light and he had the tea roof off and I heard this riff and I thought, God, who is that? That's incredible. And it was the hip. Yeah. Uh, so now I was smitten and uh, around the time they released Fully Completely, Gord did the Kumbaya Festival in Toronto and he sang on stage with Andrew Cash. Yes. Uh, he sang a song called Hey Maria. And uh, by now I was just in love with the band and like all Canadians, right? We were, we couldn't get enough of... Uh, the members were all sensational. They were all humble. Uh, Gord's lyrics were, <laughs> you know, nobody could figure them out, but they, that didn't matter. It was, uh, we understood some of them we could understand, and they were great stories and great humanity. And But the wherewithal, that lyric, and I actually, when, when I had the uh, pleasure of introducing their last concert, so they play their 10th and final show in their hometown of Kingston. Yes. And that show is broadcast during the Rio Olympics in 2016 on a Saturday night, the second last day of the Olympic Games. And I'm tired because I was working mornings and I had to be up till all hours to do this introduction to the band from Cabana Beach in Mm. Rio. Crazy. (laughs) I'm looking out at Cabana, and there's the scene in Kingston, Ontario, and this is my band and... 
Anyway, I wanted to quote those lyrics from that song. I explained how Samuel Johnson, the great Shakespeare critic, I felt a real connection between Shakespeare and, and Downey as, uh, as uh, the poets, the greatest uh, writers who understood uh, conversation, who understood uh, the human narrative. And I wanted to compliment Downey on that. In my, again, in a one-minute intro yeah. with everybody from the games all around me, Melanie Bouchold was a boxer for Canada from Kitchener. <laughs> she was right to my right, and she was no more interested in the tragically hip or uh, <laughs> anything. She just was you know, ready to party. The Olympics are over. So I quoted the lyric, and I got it backwards. I, I said, uh, I always like that guy. He's not on TV anymore. He had the wherewithal to get out before, which is backwards. It's like saying this was the night Christmas before. <laughs> uh, nobody would know because it sounded fine, but I knew, right? It was just like stopped me in my tracks mentally. Yeah. Good God, Ron, your favorite song, and you get the lyrics wrong. <laughs> but uh, n- none were the wiser, and uh, it was a thrill to be able to, to recite that. And I ended my first book cornered i have two books and mm-hmm. uh, the first book ends with the uh, admission that that's my dream in life is to eventually just sell pop at a silkscreen t-shirt shop on a beach somewhere open a little bar and call it the wherewithal love it so that's why that song that is so great uh incidentally just very quickly little bones the chorus from that song comes from an experience that gore downey had in the back of a cab the cab driver was eating chicken and he looked back and he said, you have to be careful. Eat the chicken slow because it's full of those little bones. Wow. And that's where that, yeah. Know, Downey was just fascinated by that and he wrote it down. And But the lyrics come from everywhere and who knows what they mean, right? I remember uh, Gord was supposed to present with Don Cherry at the NHL Awards and mm-hmm. then something came up last minute and Gord couldn't make it and... Uh, so I said, I was the host, and I said, well, Don, I know you got a little bone to pick with Gord Downey, and that was how I kind of got him <laughs> into this thing, but Gord was so apologetic. He came, and uh, he got Don actually involved in a video, oh boy, it's from Violent Light, uh, in Violent Light. I think it's something about Stronger. It's uh, Don Cherry's in the video, so if you Google Tragically Hip Don Cherry uh, video, I'm sure you can find it. Uh, I don't think it's a good life if you don't weaken. I think it's something uh, else off of In Violent Light. Mm. But yeah, so that's what that was a way Gord could apologize to Grapes. He was so mortified that he wasn't able to make it to the to the NHL awards that night. <laughs> okay, so that is your uh, first ten songs, my friend. So this concludes part one. So we will do uh, part two next week. Perfect. Good. We hope we have the same. You know, the key to television is sincerity, and when you can fake that, you've got it made. <laughs> I hope we go. can be as sincere <laughs> in the second in the second ten. That was really joy, Brent. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ron. I appreciate you coming in. All right, this has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen. Until next time, folks. Take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury. Leftover people and all my favorite people are broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.